We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 37, but before you stand, let me just give a little introductory thought to this series that Brother Daniel introduced last week. We're going to be team preaching through a series that we're calling Better Decisions. And the idea behind this series is simply just the often overlooked uh, relationship between good questions and good decisions. And you see, good questions set us up for good decisions. In fact, in some way, our decisions are no better than the questions that we ask or that we didn't even think to ask. And here's what we're presenting to you in this series, that if you will ask these questions from God's word that we're pulling from, these biblical principles, if you answer these questions honestly, and then if you will act on your honest answers to the questions that this series is built around, well then, we trust that you'll make better decisions, and consequently, you'll have fewer regrets. And uh, your life will actually be better. And those that look to you in their lives, those that depend on you, the people who uh, look to you, their lives will be better as well. Because, and you know this, that you're not the only person that's impacted by the decisions that you make. And, unfortunately, you're not the only person who's impacted by your regrets either. And uh, so, this series will serve as a reminder to look beyond uh, just the moment and, and recognize the potential danger that might be associated with one of the options you catch yourself selling yourself on. Because we kind of have this sales associate in our head that's arguing with us, uh, saying, make a decision now. You know, do something right now. We, they want you to decide fast. They want you to focus on the immediate rather than the ultimate. And so these questions will slow us down and they'll create the perspective we need to see the potential danger. So last week, Pastor Daniel introduced us to the question, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? And I hope upon hearing that you have been honest with yourself this past week and even that you've been honest with yourself when you've had to tell yourself things that you don't like about yourself. Um, but because he said last week, acknowledging where we are is the first step to getting where we ultimately want to be. So tonight we're going to consider a different question and that question would be this. If you're taking notes, it's simply, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? We could think about it this way. When, when this decision or this season of life or, or that relationship or that business transaction is reduced to a story that I tell someday, what story do I want to be told? What story do I want to be told about me? Do I want to be the hero of the story or am I okay with being the villain? Do I want to be a good example or am I okay with being a bad example? Which option will make this a story worth remembering instead of a story I hope that nobody ever remembers or brings up? Which option would make this a story I'll be proud to tell my children someday or my, my grandchildren? And here's the good news tonight. You get to decide. You have the power to decide what story you get to tell. Because you decide one decision at a time because as far as up to you, you write the story of your life one decision at a time. Every decision you make becomes a permanent part of your life story, and every decision you make has an outcome, uh, a consequence, a result. Sometimes it's a good result, sometimes it's a bad result. Sometimes it's a desirable consequence, sometimes it's undesirable, uh, expected or unexpected, but whatever the case, that outcome becomes a permanent part of your life story. So in Genesis 37, if you're there, let's stand in honor of God's word, if you're able to. And this is a wonderful example it illustrates this principle so well of considering our life as a story and asking ourselves this question, what story do I want to tell? The story is about Joseph. I'm sure many of you 
know this story, but let's give our attention to verse one of chapter 37 in the book of Genesis. And the Bible says this, and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought into his father their evil report. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the opportunity to be in church tonight. What an encouragement, what a blessing it is just to be around our family, our family in Christ. And thank you that we can be encouraged, that we can find strength in one another. Thank you for the singing that we've been able to enjoy. Uh, toward you. Thank you for the young men. Their special and song was such a blessing. And Lord, now as we look to your word, I ask your blessing upon it that, um, Lord, you'd speak through me and that your word would do the work, that your Holy Spirit would just have free course tonight, Lord. We invite you to this service and we ask you to work. And I pray that you'd help all of us. I know there's things going on in each of our worlds. There's burdens that we're carrying. There's, there's things that our minds are on tonight. Um, many of us are weary from a work week and uh, different things. And I just pray, Lord, that we could uh, muster up some focus tonight. And uh, Lord, that you would just not allow the devil or, or our own flesh to really prevent anything that you're trying to do tonight. And God, we love you. Thank you for your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Grab my water down here. So one thing I think that we all have in common is our love for story, right? We all love a good story, whether it's a movie um, or it's a book. I personally love uh, historical fiction and historical nonfiction. I love biographies about our, our forefathers. I love American history so much I could read that stuff all day. We all love a good story, right? Many of us not only love to hear a good story, we love to tell a good story. Um, if there's something I've learned working with kids for the past several years, it's this, kids love stories. And uh, if you're not a good preacher or you don't think you're a good teacher, just tell them a story, okay? And they'll think you're the world's greatest uh, person alive, okay? They love stories, and, and that doesn't go away as we get older. And, but what's not apparent but should be is that each of us, we're creating a story. We're creating a story of our lives, and it should be apparent. When someone asks you about your past, uh, where you're from or, or uh, where you went to school or how you met, you dip back into the chapter of a story of your life. My daughter, Audrey, she's about to turn seven uh, in a few weeks. Crazy to think about. And uh, every single night, without fail, she asks me to tell her a story about uh, something from my childhood when I got in trouble. It always has to be when I was in trouble, you know? And I don't know why. I have theories about why she asks me that. Every single night without fail, Daddy, tell me a story about when you were a boy and you got in trouble, you know? And maybe some of you are like my Audrey. You like hearing about other people's embarrassing moments, you know? And, uh, but here's the thing. While those events are happening in that moment, most of us aren't thinking in terms of story, right? We're thinking in terms of current events. We're thinking in terms of the here and now. We're thinking in terms of the urgent. I mean, it wasn't a story. It was something that was happening in the moment. And so this is setting us up for where we're headed tonight. Every significant or unusual current event, even a season of life, once it's behind us, we reclassify it as a story. 
or it's a story uh, that we hope to tell or it's a story that we don't hope to tell or that nobody would ask us to tell because maybe it's too painful or maybe it's too embarrassing to tell. And often the determining factor whether or not we want to tell that part of our story is based upon the decisions that we made at that juncture in the story. Because the truth is we write the story of our lives one decision at a time. And so the thought in this series is to seek God to make better decisions. Whether it's a thoughtful response or an emotionally fueled reaction, we write the story of our lives one decision at a time. And because of that, every time you and I make a decision of any consequence, here's what we should do. We should pause and ask ourselves questions like we're considering tonight, questions like Pastor Daniel presented last Wednesday night, like, am I being honest with myself? And for our, for our purposes tonight, what story do I really want to tell? Because every decision you and I make has an outcome. It has a consequence or a result. And so this Old Testament story, the story of Joseph, I think is just a wonderful reminder. Uh, it's, it's a powerful um, story that, that uh, is legacy preserving. It, it helps us understand this question, helps us understand decision making a little bit better. And I know that many of you, I know who I'm speaking to tonight, many of you are so familiar with this story you could do a better job presenting it than I tonight, um, but I just ask that despite the familiarity of the story, that you wouldn't allow it to rob you of what God might be trying to speak to your heart about tonight. And so let me encourage you. I know you have a lot going on. I know um, there's a lot of things probably on your mind or on your heart, but let me encourage you just to focus for a few moments and uh, allow God to speak. And as we reflect on the story of Joseph, I'd like to highlight a few principles um, as it relates to the story of our lives and the story that we want to tell. So in Genesis 37, we're introduced to this young man, Joseph. Around 1800 B.C., a long time ago, there's this 17-year-old named Joseph. He's 11 of 12 brothers uh, in the family of Jacob, and he finds himself in a no-win situation, not of his own making. His father, Jacob, loved him more than all of his other brothers because Joseph's mother was his favorite wife. And um, that did not sit well with the brethren, you know what I mean? Uh, it fueled the fires of jealousy within his brothers, and so much to the point that their jealousy gets the best of them, and they decide we're going to kill Joseph. And in the end, they lose their nerve and decide to sell him instead, rather than kill him, which was a bit more merciful, much more profitable. And so they sell Joseph to some slave traders and tell their dad, hey, a wild animal uh, uh, killed your son. And um, this is important for us to recognize because now these 10 young men have a secret that they'll have to live for the rest of their lives. A part of their story that they're too embarrassed to tell. I mean, consider what they'd have to say if, if they were retelling their story. I was so jealous of my younger brother that I, along with my nine older brothers, well, we beat him up and we, and we sold him. And somebody might say, well, there was, there was 10 of you and there was one of him. Yeah. Well, that's not a good story. You know, I'd look at Simeon or Reuben and Judah and be like, you're kind of a punk for that, you know? Um, and then they'd have to go on. Well, we told our dad that our brother was killed by wild animal. It broke his heart. It's like, that's not a good story. That's not a story worth telling. And now Joseph's brothers are liars for life. And, and we have to be so careful to not decide anything that makes us a liar for life. Um, because whatever you gain in the moment won't be worth whatever you're forced to carry in the moments to follow. And, and so we have to remember this. The part of Joseph's story here, it highlights a principle. I, I see this principle right off the bat that in writing your story, if you're taking notes, in writing your story, we must decide to master our emotions and not allow our emotions to master us. 
I could personalize it this way. In writing your story, you must decide to master your emotions and not allow your emotions to master you. Joseph's brothers obviously were being mastered by their emotions and their emotions led them to make a very poor decision which led to some regret. They weren't thinking about their lives or about that decision, the decision to sell their brother into slavery and to lie about his death. They weren't thinking about those decisions in terms of story. And one reason I believe that you and me, like Joseph's brothers, we don't think about our story when making decisions is we get distracted by the pressure and the emotions of the moment. Now, emotions are a wonderful and precious gift given by God that can accomplish a lot of good things. But there's another side of emotions. And sometimes emotions can be kind of like a fog. You know, you ever driven through a foggy morning before and it's hard to see it. It blurs the broader context. And, and sometimes emotion can be kind of like a fog and cause us to lose sight of the broader context of our story, if you will. And, and you know how this works. I mean, you're up against a deadline. You've got to decide and you've got to decide soon. I mean, she's looking at him and saying, if you don't marry me, then I'm leaving. It's like, hold on time. I, I don't, I, nobody wants to be left. <laughs> or your boss says, if you don't meet your quota, you're fired. Well, hold on, boss, nobody wants to be fired. You see, when you and me are forced to make a decision under pressure, it's hard to think about tomorrow, much less our story. And we think, well, I've, I've just got to get through today. And so whether it's love or it's fear or it's jealousy, emotions, they complicate the process by focusing our attention on the immediate rather than the ultimate. And we're left thinking in terms of options rather than story. Does that make sense? And so the challenge is there are no, <laughs> there are no emotionally neutral decision-making environments, are there? There's no neutral, uh, emotionally neutral decision-making environments. The truth is, when it comes to big decisions, it's almost impossible to be completely objective. Uh, I mean, this is why our, oftentimes our worst decisions are fueled by something with strong emotional appeal. You know, maybe for you, it was a relationship that was pretty much doomed from the beginning, but you had such a strong emotional appeal, you just had to go out with them, right? Or, or maybe it was that purchase or that lease that was so appealing, you just had to buy it. Or, or it was so appealing, you had to eat it. It's so appealing, you had to smoke it or drink it. If you've ever been in retail sales, you know that one of the worst things you can do is to allow a potential customer to leave the store or the showroom without making the sale because once they walk out, what happens? Well, the emotional appeal of your product begins to subside. And so they're far less likely to make the purchase, right? Well, there's this term that's been given to this dynamic and it explains why once our appetites are engaged in the decision-making process, we, to some degree, lose our minds. And it's been dubbed focalism. And, and it describes when somebody hyper-focuses on one thing to the neglect of everything else, okay? Nine years ago when I was dating my beautiful, intelligent, amazing, godly, wise wife, who's beautiful, did I say that? Um, when I was dating her, I experienced focalism. Maybe you did too if you fell in love before, where it's like, it's you and me, baby, and it, nobody else matters, you know? I wanna please her, or I wanna please him, and I, you know, they are my world, and this is what focalism is. It's, it's hyper-focusing on one thing to the neglect of everyone or everything else. And the point that I'm trying to make is this, is in emotionally charged decision-making environments, we, oftentimes like Joseph's brothers, tend to think in terms of our options not in terms of our stories. 
So here's a suggestion for us tonight. Just a suggestion. When, when confronted with anything or anybody with strong emotional appeal, press pause, not play. Because a strong emotional appeal should trigger a red flag, um, not a green light. So instead of leaning in, we should take a step back. And, and this is important. Not because um, he's not a great guy or she's not a great girl, to my young adult fam out there who I love and I miss you guys. <laughs> but y'all, all the singles in here, you know, he may be a great guy. She may be a great girl. It's not necessarily because of that. Not because it's, a good invest, it's not a good investment. It might be a great investment. Not because it's a once-in-a-lifetime job opportunity. It might be. But here's, here's the idea. We should step back because anything with strong emotional appeal, even the right thing, clouds our judgment. So when faced with a decision, what should we do? Well, we should pause. We should get our bearings, go home, think about it, pray to God about it, talk to somebody wise about it, and consider your story. So back to Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he finds himself on an auction block in Egypt where he's purchased by a military officer named Potiphar. And now Joseph has a decision to make. Do I run for my life? Do I do what most slaves do? Do as little as possible with a bad attitude as, as, as I can get by with? Or do I throw myself into this slave thing with everything I've got? You know, it's an interesting dilemma for a rich kid who was his father's favorite son, right? And, and perhaps here's what makes his story so relatable to us. None of that is necessarily Joseph's fault. Someone else took control of Joseph's story. And that highlights another principle that I want to point out to us as it relates to what story we want to tell. And that's simply this, that in writing your story, there's some parts that you will have no control over. In writing your story, there's some, there's some parts that you will have no control over. Like you didn't put the pen to the paper on that line. Like someone else wrote that sentence or they wrote that paragraph or they wrote that chapter for you without your consent. You know what I mean? Joseph's story, like perhaps parts of your story or my story, was hijacked or commandeered by evil and selfish people. So Joseph could have very easily said, well, why try? Why care? And that's always the temptation when someone else decides our story in a bad direction, isn't it? But Joseph, I love this, Joseph overcame the negative inertia. He refused to throw up his hands. He refused to give up and let fate have its way. And tonight you too can, my friend, as well. Like, you can overcome those negative things. Instead of getting bitter, instead of throwing in the towel, and in spite of everything seemingly working against him, Joseph decides to rise above his circumstances and he serves Potiphar's household as if it were his own. And because of that decision, Potiphar eventually notices, he gives Joseph more responsibility, putting him in charge of basically everything within the household. And I think it's worth pausing and thinking about this. That's, that's a good story, isn't it? Like, that's a story worth telling. I mean, Joseph, if you asked him, he'd say, I was kidnapped once, sold twice. I was a victim, but then I decided not to live like a victim. Bro, that's awesome. That's a great story. I just want to encourage you tonight that you don't have to be the victim of your misfortune. 
You don't have to live that way. You can rise above it like Joseph did. Now I understand the easy road is to play the victim. Hey, the applauded road today is to play the victim. It's celebrated today. But you can rise above your misfortune and your, your, those things in your life that were created as negative inertia. You can't control everything that happens to you. We understand this tonight. But you should intentionally control how you respond to it. No doubt about it. And Joseph decided not to live like a victim, even though that would have been the easy road. And all things considered, Joseph was writing a good story worth telling. But then the music changes, right? And so another principle that leads me to another thought when it comes to what story do I want to tell, and that's this, that oftentimes to have a story worth telling, you will have to face adversity. In fact, you will face adversity. Oftentimes to have a story worth telling, you will have to face adversity and how you respond to that adversity will determine whether or not your story is a story worth telling. If you know Joseph's story, you know that his story intersected with Potiphar's wife. He finds himself, again, through no fault of his own, in a no-win situation. Potiphar's wife insists that Joseph become her lover, and Bible scholars and historical writers would say that she was encouraging him to be one of her many lovers. And so Joseph has two options here, neither of which lead to a good outcome. And it's important to understand that in this culture, this was not only a moral issue that was presented to Joseph. No, this was a life and death issue. Actually, more like a death and death issue, because no matter what he decided, he could very well have his life taken from him. And just to point it out, he's probably 19, 20 years old at this time in his story. And once again, he opts for the better story. It's at this juncture in the story that Joseph employs a very powerful technique, a technique that would do you and I very well to employ. And here's what he does. He actually rehearses in Genesis 39, he actually rehearses his story out loud as the context for his response to Potiphar's wife. And this is how we know he made his decision within the context of his life story. So Genesis 39, if you'll turn there in your Bibles with me, this is essentially what Joseph says to her. He says, Mrs. Potiphar, look, I came as a slave. I had no rights. I had no future. Your husband purchased me. I did my best to serve him and to serve you. And through hard work and through God's help, I've gained the trust of your husband. He's put me in charge of the entire household. And now notice what he says in verse 8 of Genesis 39. Verse 8, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Now pause, time out. This is Joseph's implication to Mrs. Potiphar. Look, this is your story. This is your story. In other words, you really need to think about this, Mrs. Potiphar. Do you really want had an affair with a Hebrew slave as a part of your story? Then Joseph, I, I love this, he steps back into the broadest context of all in verse 9. In light of all that's happened, in light of your husband's confidence in me and God's mercy on me, he says this in verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Hey, why would you want to add adultery to what's turning out to be a good story with an ending that I never dreamed even possible? Right? In other words, which of these stories, Mrs. Potiphar, would I rather tell? I have two options. Story number one, your husband gave me an opportunity I never dreamed would come my way. 
So I was faithful to him and I was faithful to God who's been watching over me. That's a good story. Or story number two, your husband gave me an opportunity I never dreamed would come my way, so I took advantage of his trust and had an affair with his wife. Joseph's literally asking himself in this moment, what story do I want to tell? What story do you want to tell? As you probably know, Joseph decided the better of the two stories. He did the right thing, but things didn't turn out right. Sometimes that happens in life, doesn't it? You do the right thing, but things don't turn out right. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. Joseph ends up in Pharaoh's dungeon. There's a word for that, right? Adversity, our favorite word, a man's best friend, right? I say that tongue in cheek. Adversity, you know, adversity is inevitable. It, challenges, setbacks, disappointments, criticism, you won't be able to avoid those things for very long. And a very important question we have to ask ourselves when facing adversity, like Joseph, is this, how will I respond to this adversity? Because how you respond will oftentimes determine whether or not your story is a story worth telling. Joseph understood this too, my story is not over. My story is not over. And friend, when you find yourself in the midst of adversity, can I tell you tonight, your story is not over? Uh, you see, when we hit a rough patch or we find ourselves in a long or a difficult season, it feels like the current chapter of our story is our entire story. But the reality is it's not. And it doesn't have to be. Often it's our responses or our decisions that make the difference in a story that ends badly or in a story that ends well. Writer and professor Robertson Davies said this, extraordinary people survive under the most terrible circumstances and then become more extraordinary because of it. You see, to some people, adversity is a stepping stone. To others, adversity is a tombstone. Uh, the difference in the way they approach it depends on how they see it. Performance psychologist Jim Lair said, champions have taught us how to take an experience and essentially write the story of its effect. If you see a failure as an opportunity to learn and to get better, it will be. If you perceive it as a mortal blow, it will be. In that way, the power of the story is more important than the experience itself. So I want to ask you tonight, friends, what kind of story will adversity write in your life? What kind of story will adversity write in your life? And can I tell you this, that God would want it to be positive? God would want it to be positive. Adversity without triumph, one man said, is not inspiring, it's depressing. Adversity without growth, it's not encouraging, it's discouraging. The great potential story in adversity is one of hope and success. You see, adversity is everyone's, but the story you write with your life is yours alone. Everyone gets a chance to be the hero, potentially, of a great story. And some step up to that role, and unfortunately, others don't. But the choice, my friend, is yours. It's entirely yours. And so another principle regarding what story you and I want to tell that I see from Joseph's story is this is when your story doesn't get written the way you thought it would, adversity, difficulty, an unexpected challenge, a setback, a disappointment, when your story doesn't get written the way you thought it would, just do like Joseph did, which is just keep doing the next right thing. Just keep doing the next right thing. If you're familiar with Joseph's story, then you know although Joseph got thrown into prison for being falsely accused of immorality, 
Joseph just kept doing the next right thing. He didn't let the trouble and the adversity bring him down or keep him down. While in prison, Joseph does the same thing he did when he was serving in Potiphar's household. He decides well consistently, and over time, he wins the favor of the prison warden. And while that's not a great goal in life, it was a great goal for Joseph, okay? And before long, the Bible tells us at the end of Genesis 39, he's pretty much running the place. Now we have to remember every decision and the outcome of that decision becomes a part of our story. This means that decision by decision, you and I are writing the stories of our lives. That's why whenever you make a decision of any kind of magnitude, we would do good to pause, look ahead, and ask ourselves, when this is nothing more than a story I want to tell, what story do I really want to tell? You see, the decision you are wrestling with now is going to be nothing more than a story that you tell someday. The challenge is we don't normally think of our lives in terms of story, but they actually are. And here's something I'd assume is true of every single one of us tonight. You would like to be able to tell your entire story without skipping any chapters or telling any lies about the details, right? I mean, someday you'd like to sit down with your kids or with your grandkids or somebody that you want to do the rest of your life with and tell them the entire story that is your life. And no doubt you'd like to be the hero in your story. We all want that. And but my point tonight is this, that you can have that. You can have that. But it will require you to stop mid-decision and ask, what story do I really want to tell? Which of the available options do I want as a permanent part of my story? And as did Joseph, we will need to choose to do the next right thing, maybe the next good and right decision. Several years later, and, and don't let that slip by you too fast, several years later, as Joseph's still in prison, he's remembered, and he's brought before Pharaoh to interpret a dream that Pharaoh believed had significance for the nation of Egypt, because none, none of his magicians could interpret it. And so um, Joseph here, he assures Pharaoh that he can interpret the dream. But Joseph says, it's, it's not going to be me who interprets the dream, Pharaoh. And, and the audacity for Joseph to stand before a man who saw himself as a god and say, the God whom I serve, the Hebrew God, Jehovah Yahweh, is going to interpret this dream through me. Which leads me to another thought, that you must intentionally include God in your story. You must intentionally include God in your story. Now, if you're saved tonight, uh, what I'm not saying, okay, if you're saved tonight, and you're a child of God, he's going to find a way into your story whether you like it or not, okay? You better believe that because you're his and he loves you and he will never stop loving you and he will never stop chasing you down. And so if you are a child of God, that's not what I'm saying that you need to invite him that way. But what I'm saying is you must intentionally decide to trust him and to obey him. And you have to do that. I have to do that in every season in every chapter, in the good times, in the bad times, in the ups, in the downs, in the mountaintops, and in the valleys. Uh, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, the writer said, but to trust and obey. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. And Joseph claimed this. He said, Jehovah God would interpret this dream through me. That's incredible. When's the last time you gave God the credit, friend? We have to understand how dangerous a thing this would have been for Joseph to say this to a man who believed himself to be a god. Unfortunately, Pharaoh was more curious than he was furious, so he let Joseph proceed. According to Joseph's interpretation, you know it, Egypt would experience seven years of record-breaking grain harvest. 
and this was awesome news, they would be swimming in grain. And this was awesome because bread was like the staple for ancient people, so grain was the primary source and the dominant portion of their standard diet. And so if there was no grain, ultimately people would starve. And so Joseph had really great news, but that was just one side of the dream. That was just one side of the story because although he claimed that Egypt would have experienced seven years of record-breaking harvest, it would be followed by a famine so severe that everyone would forget about the good seven years. And when Joseph finished interpreting his dream, everybody assumed Joseph would, would be done and that he would excuse himself. That's it. But Joseph didn't leave and he did the unthinkable. He offered this Pharaoh unsolicited advice. Now, back in this day, and in the context that Genesis chapter, whatever chapter it's in, Genesis chapter 41, if you were to speak to a Pharaoh that way, um, your life could be very well taken from you. Nobody gave the Pharaoh unsolicited advice. And, but Joseph says this to him. He says, someone needs to wake up every single day focused on preparing Egypt for what's coming. So choose somebody, king. Choose somebody that you trust and put them in charge of the grain storage. And I imagine the throne room is silent. People probably gasped as Joseph gave this unsolicited advice. And everybody's waiting to find out the unimaginable horror that awaits this arrogant Hebrew who still smells a little bit like dungeon who gave the Pharaoh unsolicited advice. And look at what Pharaoh says in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 38. He says, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Genesis 41 verse 39, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. And then to the shock and awe of everyone standing there, he says this in verse 40. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. So in a moment, Pharaoh changes Joseph from a prisoner to prime minister. I mean, second in command of the most powerful nation in history at that time. I wonder if Joseph's intentional exaltation of God had anything to do with that blessedness. But Joseph did what he'd been doing. You see, he was deciding well, and he devoted himself to this unprecedented opportunity. Seven years later had passed as he predicted a famine devastates that region of the world, and once everybody's grain cupboards are bare, uh, Joseph opens the federal grain silos and begins to feed the nation, and long before people from uh, all over the known world at that time now are coming to Egypt, and they're trying to buy grain, including Joseph's brothers. And when they arrived to Egypt, he happened to be out that day, and he noticed them immediately, but they obviously didn't notice him since they hadn't seen him since he was 17 years old. He might have been 30 years old at this time in an Egyptian garb. And, and we don't have time to go through all the fascinating details of this story. I'd encourage you to do it on your own time. But in the end, Joseph reveals his identity and his 10 older brothers are, are speechless. In fact, they're terrified because they, and they beg for mercy because they, they think that they deserve death or they deserve some cruel punishment. And they're sure that Joseph would do to them what they had done to him because that's what they would do if they were in Joseph's position. But, and here's the point that I've been working toward tonight, is that Joseph, he wasn't anything like his brothers. Amen. And do you know why that is? Do you know why Joseph wasn't like his brothers? Because throughout his life, Joseph refused to react. And in refusing to react, listen, 
he avoided becoming like the people who mistreated him. The people that he had a hard time liking. He decided against this gravitational pull of bitterness. And so consequentially now, he has the power, he's free, and he's free to write his own story. And he decided his life in a different direction. He decided a story worth telling. That's why we're still telling Joseph's story thousands of years later. Because it's a story worth telling. So, in addition to rescuing Egypt from famine, Joseph rescued his brothers and their families as well. He gave them a place to stay in Egypt. And he decided one decision at a time, one response at a time, I'm going to choose a story that I would be proud to tell. So friends tonight, what story do you really want to tell? I mean, let's, let's do business with this since we're here, since it's church. Let's just, let's just do business with that question. What story do you want told about you? Like Joseph, like his brothers, you are writing your story one decision at a time. And I want to encourage you, don't do what his brothers did. Never choose the option that makes you a liar for life. Long after whatever you've gained is gone, you'll be left with your lie and your embarrassment and your shame. You'll be left with a story that you're not proud to tell. But every relational, financial, academic, professional decision and the outcome of those decisions become a permanent part of your story. So what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying, friends. Write a good one. Decide a good one. You have the power to choose. God's given us this incredible gift called free will. Now God is sovereign and he's in control of a lot of things that we can't control, but he's given you and me the ability to control a lot of things for good or for bad. He knows, his ways are higher than mine. If you haven't decided on a good story up to this point, I wanna tell you this. Maybe you're disappointed with the decisions you've made. Maybe you're embarrassed to tell your entire story. Maybe there would be chapters that you would wanna skip over that you'd wanna lie about. But can I tell you that your current chapter is just a chapter? It's just that, it's, it's not the whole story. And I, for one, and I'm sure you would agree, you're grateful that we serve a God of redemption Amen. and of grace. Thankful that he's a God of incredible mercy. So, my friend, if, if you don't like the story that your life has told up to this point, can I just encourage you to turn to him? Repent. Call out to God. And purpose in your heart that from this day forward, I'm going to make this decision, that from this day forward, I will decide a story that I'll be proud to tell. Every time you're faced with a decision of any magnitude, ask yourself, what story do I want to tell? And then decide accordingly. Because you write the story of your life one decision at a time. So church family, my friends, my family, write a good one. Write a good one.